Welcome to the second episode of the Product Weekend Podcast, Season 2, powered by Productize. This is where we meet inspiring people behind great products. My name is João Moita, and today we have with us Tammy Rees, also known as the Product Leader Coach. Tammy has a long career in product in several US companies, having worked as individual contributor, as product marketing manager, as product consultant alongside Melissa Perry, as interim CPO for a big VC firm, and now focusing her efforts in coaching product leaders worldwide. Besides being an inspiring product coach, Tammy is also a traveler, a writer, and a mother. In this conversation, we walked through her different experience and uncovered some golden product career tips along the way. By the end of the episode, you have books, blogs, and travel recommendations from her. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Miami, Florida, where I currently live after 20 years of not living here. So you came back recently? Uh, yeah, we came back right before COVID uh, for what was supposed to be 12 weeks of parental leave. COVID mm. hit and we decided to stay. New yeah. York didn't want us back, which was part of it, but yeah. we decided to stay. In your childhood there in, in Miami, how would you describe yourself? Precocious, problematic towards teachers, hmm. um, constantly uh, pro causing issues in school by speaking up and telling people they were wrong <laughs> so you were already trying to change things oh very much so and if something was inefficient or uh in non-just or unfair people heard about it from me <laughs> and what were your dreams and goals did you already have it clear what would you like to do as well, a grown-up Obviously, in 1983, I knew I wanted to be a product manager because everyone was a product manager yeah, yeah, back yeah. then. Right. Um, uh, I, I was a typical kid who really thought she was going to be a doctor because that's where kids who were good in science and math were supposed to be. So then you ended up studying physiology, right? Mm -hmm. How did your yeah. studies impact your later choices? Um, so I chose to study physiology at UCLA because it was the strongest pre-med major. Little did I know that that also meant that I would not get good enough grades to go to medical school. Um, I once actually spoke to our advisor and I said, so is there a safety school for med school? And she said, no, Tammy, there's no safety schools for med school. Um, but I went to business school, actually, right out of college. I was given an opportunity to get an understanding of the way the rest of the world worked. So I like to say that I, I balance between the two of those. Mm -hmm. uh, and when it comes to my specialty within product management, I've always been the data integrations person. So data in, data out. I was working with SOAP APIs back in 2006 or something like that when most product managers didn't know what an API was, mm -hmm. never mind a RESTful API uh, that came later. Uh, and so the way I explain it is that the human body is one of the most elegant integrated systems you could ever imagine. And computer systems to a certain degree are trying to be that elegant. Right. And so if you can understand how blood runs through the body and gets oxygen and delivers oxygen and the idea of organs, which are specialized systems that have specialized functions, um, it's actually a really good explanation for how computer systems work nowadays, especially in the integrated space. So yeah. that's how I like to think about my physiology background. 
Right. That's super interesting. Actually, a lot of the things we're seeing in software, it's trying to replicate some things that the human body has been able to do for a long time. So yeah, for sure, yeah. understanding it can help you also think of new things and new ways of, of doing things. Yeah. What's hilarious, though, is that my first job out of business school was actually an event planner. I was a fundraiser and event planner. And when I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to apply to be a product person at yeah. Cornerstone On Demand, though originally I was an implementation person, um, they asked me, like, what does event planning have to do with implementations and computers and technology? And I said, well, I said, you all deal with product launch dates. Guess how specific an event launch date is because <laughs> it's either going to happen or it isn't. And you have to coordinate with all these different vendors and all the different personalities yeah. to make it work. You can't do it by yourself. And so they role, said, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that role was more into project management? Oh, totally much more into project management. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I can totally relate to that. Also, before starting my my job as product manager, I did a lot of events in the students' association, and yeah, like dealing with different stakeholders, managing even the working with different teams. Uh, it helped. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, and if you've never done it, you don't understand. But it's a really correlative skill set to product management. The, the herding of cats, the making sure everyone understands what the goal is, the fifteen different backup plans for when something goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah. And in that sense, so you started uh, that job, and then you've been there like around product a uh, bit as a project manager. You also did a bit of product marketing, right? Um, how uh, was that yeah. transition, and how did you reach so, product management specifically? So my first job, we'll say my first W two real job. W two is an American standard for like you're a full time employee. Right. So my first full time job in um, technology was working for Cornerstone on Demand as an implementation manager, and yeah. um, my job was to take our biggest clients and get them live on our system, which involved an integration or four, depending on who it was. Um, and I was really lucky that the CEO um, saw that the kind of specifications I was writing for these custom integrations for our biggest clients uh, should really be productized and mm -hmm. be part of the product. And he invited me to join the product team. Um, so there and it was already somewhat technical, right? Yeah, or... exactly. 100%. It was already technical. I was already um, integrating HRIS systems into Cornerstone on Demand and Active Directory and other things like that. Um, so those are pretty foundational, <laughs> easy to understand integrations. Um, mm. And I had to get advanced beyond that. But uh, I eventually helped build the first public facing APIs for Cornerstone, which were used for um, one of our clients who uh, needed to build their own mobile app because we didn't have a mobile app at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was building APIs and I learned about Postman and things like that back in the day. Did you feel that you're lacking some technical background or were you able to, to compensate with your other skills? I think I've always had a healthy curiosity for technology. Um, but I've never really wanted to learn how to code. I even wrote a big long article, which I call my tome called while I'll never learn to code and you shouldn't either. Um, part of that is actually that I'm dyslexic. And so written language is 
very hard for me and coding is a written language yeah um, with very very specific syntax mm -hmm. i can't tell you how often i was failing spelling as a young child and my parents were like spelling's not the hard one tammy like, <laughs> Yeah, but it was really difficult for me. So I yeah. uh, I was never good at learning to code, but yeah, probably maybe um, it was just not the right timing. Now there's like plenty of tools that with autocomplete and AI to help you code without writing all the lines. So. And I believe those tools should be reserved for the people who want to build something like that. But the, the low code platforms and things like that are yeah. are really incredible. And I've been able to build some small things with those, but um. Yeah in the same respect that I want people to respect my, me and my craft of product management, mm -hmm. I respect engineers and their craft of building things. Yeah, right. So. How did you transition from individual contributor, product manager to more consulting role? Yeah, um, well, part of it happened when I didn't have a job. <laughs> when I left Cornerstone, I joined a startup and within 90 days, I was laid off because our biggest paying customer was pulling out their partnership. And so I had to find work. And mm -hmm. so I started doing a little bit of consulting for local startups. I was based in Los Angeles at the time. Yeah. Uh, and back then, Silicon Beach was brand new and there were all these companies starting out. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I got the opportunity to work with a variety of founders and otherwise. And that's actually how I got into product marketing. Um, I was doing a lot of consulting and I went mm -hmm. to a hackathon and uh, it was run by IAC's uh, division called City Grid, which is what City Search morphed into. For any of you that remember City Search, it predates Yelp as a local listing tool. And um, I presented my hackathon team's idea and it turned out that there was a recruiter the in-house recruiter from city search was there and he walked up to me afterwards and he said you're a product person aren't you and i said yeah how could you tell and he said well you started with the why of why you were building this thing everyone else talked about the what because they were engineers and you talked about the why and we need somebody at City Grid to help people learn to talk about the why. Would you be interested in talking to our CPO? And I said, sure. So I had a meeting with Anna Martinez, who's um, nowadays, I think she's co-founder somewhere and head of product. Fantastic product person, uh, formerly engineer, um, but she was fantastic. And she had this vision of transforming her product managers into people who could talk more about the why of what they were building, which again was APIs, but a lot of them didn't know how to talk about what it, what the value was. And so they hired me as a product marketing manager to work with all the product managers and teach them the communication that part, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Got and it. so I was kind of like an in-house consultant. All right, all right. So you were working <laughs> with product managers, helping them communicate better, helping them reach their goals. That's... Yeah, and then I moved to New York and I was so lucky uh, to meet Lauren Gilchrist, who still works at Pivotal Labs. She runs the DC office. Uh, and she and I were introduced because I was doing some consulting for a mutual friend of ours on a, on a website that they had created. And um, Pivotal with Lauren opened the door for me to lean agile consulting and working with some of the biggest brands in the country and the world and some of the smallest startups um, and really emphasizing the importance of lean agile in how you build great software.
And so I was lucky enough to have that opportunity. And when you have Pivotal Labs on your resume, there are lots of other consulting places that are happy to talk to you, is all I can say. Right. So there you already worked with companies of varying sizes. And then you continued to be a consultant at another company, right? I actually ran a consultancy. I, I, I was brought in to be CEO um, of Cyrus Innovation, which was pretty much more of a dev shop. But they understood that development was only one piece of the puzzle and they wanted to expand it to have service offerings around product management. Um, and so they brought me in to be CEO and I treated the whole company like a product, mm -hmm. which was lots of fun. And we yeah. did things iteratively. And my team will tell you the one thing that I said I would never say is we've been doing this this way for a long time. So let's keep doing it. That was the only rule that they would never hear that yeah. for me. And that if they brought me good ideas, we would explore them together. Um, and we would always iterate that whatever we were rolling out, if there was a reason to change it, and if someone provided good feedback, we would we would alter it in the mm. same way you would alter a product. And yeah. it was a lot of fun. I, I did that for a yeah. year and a half. We sold the company. Uh, it still exists just under a new brand, Deaf Method. I still yeah. talk to their CEO and their head of product pretty regularly. They're good people. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I went back in house. Nice, actually, that that trend of uh, like these digital agencies or consulting, like IT consulting companies, changing from pure IT, let's say, to product. It's a trend that I think it's still ongoing here in 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 Europe. I think it it happened some years before in the US. So I think there's a lot of valuable lessons to to learn here. Or do you think that yeah. it's still ongoing and there's still a lot of old school IT companies? I think there's still a lot of old school IT companies. And as long as there are old school IT companies, there will be old school IT consultancies, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. the more companies themselves want to be transforming into product-oriented work instead of project-oriented work, Uh, really thinking about the customer value that they're delivering, not simply the business value. Um, there will be more and more consultancies that are helping them do that, whether they are transformation agencies that are helping you implement lean and agile at your corporation or more advanced consultancies and advisory companies, the way I do things or the way Melissa Perry does things where we do trainings to really help with transformation in different ways um, and more advanced transformations uh, and everything in between, right? Because the bottom line is, is no company will ever have enough resources to build everything they want to build. And so there will always be alternative options and financial benefits to working with agencies yeah. as it sees as, as fit. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's, there's space for all kinds of, of companies. But yeah, I think there's a, it has been proven that this product mindset instead of a project mindset brings better results overall. Yeah, so imagine, so I, one of my first jobs Before I was actually really in tech, my job before that was I worked for Farmers Insurance, which is a Zurich insurance company based in mm. Los Angeles, California. And my title was Associate Product Manager. And right. back then in 2007, Associate Product Manager at an insurance company meant I was a pricing specialist who filled in documents and sent in like pricing changes to the departments of insurance, which is absolutely nothing to do with product management in case you're wondering. Yeah. But I worked with actuaries. 
Uh, and eventually they switched me over to product development, which is closer to what we think about a product management and the nature we were building new financial products. But right. nothing was really um, high tech. We actually, most of our engineers were from an agency because we were still building on the mainframe that we brought over 30, 50 years earlier. And people were coding in COBOL, which most people have no idea what it is. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of banks in Portugal and financial institutions still run on Cobalt. So. There's a lot of banks in the U.S. who still work on Cobalt, too. Right. When I was working um, at Pivotal Labs, one of our clients was J.P. Morgan Chase, and we were doing something that it, it was actually really a great idea that Jamie Dimon had, which was that with all the data breaches going on, he wanted to be able to shut off his pipes in an instant. He said, if Equifax has a data breach, and this was actually before Equifax had a data breach, we want to be able to stop sending them our information to protect our clients the best that we can, which was a really uh, foresight-filled idea. But all of those feeds were done by mainframes. And so even in 2014, I was still working with COBOL stuff. It takes time. It does take time. <laughs> Unwinding old stuff is hard. Mm -hmm. Let me go back to one of your... Uh, experiences that you mentioned the um, second consulting company, if I'm not missing things, the Cyrus Innovation, right? Yeah, um, you got it. So there you you had a, an interesting project, uh, like kind of a side project, right? That turned into a product. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. It's called Just Not Sorry. Yeah, so Just Not Sorry is a Gmail app, even though there's no such thing as a Gmail app. So it's actually a Chrome extension right. um, that nowadays actually works on Gmail as well as Office 365. And it underlines as if it was spell checking any word that you might put in that undermines your message. So words like just and yes. sorry, and I think, and I believe, and I feel. It doesn't delete them for you. It simply mm -hmm. brings awareness so that you say to yourself, do I really believe this or do I know this? Is this data backed? Or am right. I am I lessening the impact of what I'm trying to say and the, the confidence that I have in my message and the confidence someone else is going to read in my message by adding in phrases that don't help? And when you hover over an underlined word, it tells you why it doesn't help you with communicating with confidence. And uh, one of my favorites is um, if you type in try or trying, if you hover, it says do or do not, there is no try. And it's from Yoda. <laughs> That's always been one of my favorites, but it, it really helps people with communication, not only written communication, but really mindfulness around communication. I was never a person who used just too much, mm -hmm. uh, but it turns out I use, does that make sense a lot? Which mm -hmm. to a certain degree is questioning whether or not I would be making sense when I was talking. Uh, yeah. And so why am I questioning myself? It doesn't really help other people believe in what I say and have confidence in what I'm saying. So that was something that I got to correct through the use of the tool. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that it uh, services right now is kind of and sort of. Right. And that is like nails on a chalkboard to me when I hear it from other people. I can't tell you how many people start talking about a project that just launched or a product initiative that they just completed. And they say, well, we kind of did this thing. And it's very clear to me that you didn't you kind of do anything. <laughs> you did or you did not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't sort of launch a product. You launched a product. Uh, and so 
Uh, just not sorry. It's totally free. It's our present to the world. Um, and I love how many people um, know about it and use it. And when they hear that I am the creator of it, they would say, oh, my God, you've changed my life uh, because it authentically <laughs> can change your life. Right. In a good way. So, mm -hmm. yeah, a nice little present to the world. Yeah. How did it come to life? What was the motivation behind it? Was it, uh, so, was it yeah. experience? Um, it was actually a desire to help other people. So um, a lot of what we did, me being CEO at Cyrus Innovation, was helping female founders. Uh, I rebranded us in a female founder-centric way um, to help the women of the world who are really smart and unfortunately don't know that much about technology. And they often get um, taken advantage of by these agencies like we were just talking about. Yeah. And so... I was part of a lot of female founder groups and I was at a brunch and someone said, Hey, can you create something that highlights every time I say, sorry. And then someone else said, Ooh, can you write it for just two? And the next week I, uh, I showed up at the office and I said to our lead engineer, a guy named Steve Bruds, who still works for deaf method. Uh, Hey, I want to build this with you. And he said, that's awesome, because he also believes in female empowerment and helping women get out of their own way. Um, but it turned out it was something that worked for women and for men, though women were the inspiration. It's something that independent of your gender, you probably have verbal tics when you feel like you don't have as much confidence and it comes through in writing. And if you want to display more confidence, download the app yeah. and and improve your way. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Worth it to give it a try to improve Can't hurt. communication. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's actually super interesting. And I was thinking, so I guess now you're a bit more disconnected from the app, but did you follow up with some like I'm still the tester of the app, to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> right. But did you so my question was around um data did you use the data from the usage of the app uh, in some way to i wish research these kind of things um i wish we actually specifically didn't track things mm -hmm. with data in the app because we didn't want people to feel like their emails were being read there's a lot of angst about that uh, so we were unable to get any good data right. um, which was unfortunate but there was a woman who fell in love with the app and actually wrote like her master's thesis about the mindfulness that the app creates. I forgot what university she's in, but um, yeah. So other people have done other kinds of research in a clinical setting around the application to show that it was good practice, but it was based on, on data um, from really strong linguists uh, in the field um, who, who knew a lot more about how words get interpreted than I do is all I can say. Right. Super interesting. And I mean, must be super rewarding to see that happen and to see this helping other people. I guess that's the ultimate yeah, 100%. Any real product manager that loves to solve problems for people, seeing that come to life. Yeah, I'm totally utilitarian. 
Mm-hmm. It's part of the reason I spend most of my career in B2B products. It's the only B2C product I've ever worked on mm-hmm. um, was just not sorry, but to a certain degree, it's it's also very utilitarian. I mm-hmm. believe that unless you're saving someone time or money, it, mm-hmm. a product can't be successful, which is why I don't create things like Instagram, which are by definitions, a waste of time, but um, they work, right? They're huge. I use Instagram. For, I waste countless hours on it, you know? Um yeah. But uh, it's never been my strength in product. So that's super interesting. And do you also try to spread that way of looking at things to your clients and partners and people that you absolutely? Whenever I teach, I talk about the the nature of something having to have value and what does value really mean. Um, and when I do my executive coaching now, so for the last two years, I've been doing executive coaching for product leaders. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of interpersonal coaching, right? So how do you work better with your CTO, your CRO, the head of sales, the CEO, the CPO, if you aren't that top person in your organization. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is about building empathy for them and figuring out what their incentives are and how do you partner with them to create progress, not only for what you desire, but for what they desire as well. And how do you frame the things that you're communicating to them in a way that they understand that they are also going to benefit? And so it all wraps up is all I can say. Everything is connected. Mm -hmm. Right. And going to one interesting thing that you've, you've written about, we'll go to a bit more in depth to the coaching part of your career, but before that, One interesting topic that you've written about is the um, treating your career as a product. So mm-hmm. how do you look at your career as a product? What are my the... personal career or in general? <laughs> in general first, then we'll. Uh, yeah, in general, the idea is this is like a, a cornerstone of the way that I coach people because I only work with product people. Um, yeah. And I expect that if you're currently a VP of product somewhere, you have decent product skills, if not very good product skills. Um, and so what I want people to do is think about all the product skills they use for a product and yep. using it on their career as well. And so that means customer discovery. But the customers in this case are CEOs and companies or whoever you want to hire you for your next job, right? So what's of interest to them? What's of value to them? And then doing a capability gap analysis. What do I currently have that makes me special? What do I currently have that's lacking based on what the customer needs, right? Literally, there's a job to be done there. Do Can I fulfill it? Mm-hmm. Um And then thinking about how do you advance those features, right? How do you advance yourself? How do you gain more knowledge? How do you gain more experience? Mm -hmm. Um, One of the classic gaps um, for people who are looking to become product leaders is that they've never actually led strategy on something, more specifically on a merger or acquisition or in geographic expansion. And a lot of companies, when they're looking to hire a product leader, are looking for that sort of experience. So I work with people to figure out how they can insert themselves into those conversations in their company and be part of them, even if they aren't leading it, uh, mm-hmm. to simply understand what's going on. I also think that a really big gap between uh, an IC product manager and the more higher echelons of product right. leadership right. is right. is financial knowledge. And so I help uh, my clients start framing the work that they do within things like ARR and NRR and not only NPS and lifetime value, but, and cost of customer acquisition and other things, um, which really help elevate the conversation 
which is what the executive team is looking for. And so when it comes to your career, it's a matter of saying, where do I want to go? Where am I right now? And how can I get to that next place? Like what's next? Um, Product vision, current state. Product vision, exactly. All of this stuff. All of it stuff. uh, It's all part of viewing yourself as a product. And then once you can start looking at your own career as a product, you can look at everything you do as a product. So the board deck you're producing as a product, the memo you're creating to get funding for an initiative as a product, the organizational design that you're putting forth as a product, the new process you're implementing to be more lean or more agile as a product, mm-hmm. which means similar to what I was talking about earlier with my philosophy at Cyrus is that you have to get feedback from people, right? Yeah. First, you set up with a vision of what you're trying to change. Let it be outcome oriented. What outcomes are we looking to have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What hypotheses do we have about our options for how we can get there? Implement one of those options. Gather feedback about how it's working. Measure yourself. Are we actually approaching the outcome that was desired? If not, how do we iterate and get there? Um, retrospectives and everything else in between. Um, but people don't remember to do that as often because they say, oh, it's 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 this, it's that. In reality, everything can be a product. And yep. if yep. we use our product management, problem solving, collective feedback skills, we'll, we'll all be more successful, as will our plans. That's super interesting. I mean, it's a topic that I'm very passionate about. Uh, product and careers, it's something that's really interesting for me. And I even wrote an article about applying the opportunity solution tree from Teresa Torres to mm-hmm. your career. Um, and, and I linked to that in my article. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but what I was going to ask, I mean, we could spend two more hours talking about this, but let's try to move on to the next topic. But just before that, what would be your favorite framework or the one that you think is most useful to apply? Uh, the framework that I start with and I emphasize most is the concept of Kaizen, continuous improvement, that you're never done. You're Mm -hmm. never, ever done. And at the same point, you can launch something that's imperfect because you're going to make it better. And it, it allows for both sides of that coin that it's okay to put something into the world that needs work Mm-hmm. with the humility that you don't have all the answers yourself yeah. and that you want to learn from the people who are going to use something about how to make it better and the people who are building it about how to make it better right. and then continuously make it better. And sometimes sunset or retire something because there's something totally brand new that replaces it. But mm-hmm. that concept of continuous improvement right. and similar to what we were talking about earlier Applying that to yourself as well, applying that to the processes, applying that to the documents you create. How can those things be continuously improved as the world changes? Because the world is always going to change. Yeah, definitely. So you spent a significant part of your career at Products Labs. Uh, For people that never heard about it, what is it all about? Yeah. So Products Labs, if you haven't heard of Products Labs, you've more probably heard of Melissa Perry, its founder. Mm-hmm. Melissa is a what I like to call product personality because she and Marty Kagan and Ben Foster pretty much get around the circuit, making sure they spread the product gospel. Uh, so Melissa Perry, uh, right around the time that she published her book, Escaping the Build Trap, was approached to start a consultancy um, for 
companies, startups, growth stage companies, scale-ups, big corporations uh, to help them in their product management transformation. And uh, one of the people that contacted her was running what was called the Product Center of Excellence at Insight Partners. Mm -hmm. And she went searching for someone at the VP, SVP sort of level to help run the program and run the consultancies and run the engagements so that she could focus on what Melissa's really great at, which is inspiring other people to be product led. Um, While I was uh, with Melissa, she actually started teaching at Harvard Business School. So there were things that distracted her from the individual clients. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she needed a trusted partner to do that. And so Myself and a woman named Denise Tillis were involved in making sure that our clients were able to be transformed, even if they couldn't be hanging out with Melissa all the time. (laughs) Right. So Melissa was more the inspirational one and you were the ones getting more hands on with the clients and deliver. Inspiration and guidance, I would say. She definitely wasn't fully hands off. That's not her style. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, definitely more day-to-day working with clients. We also had product analysts that were helping us as well. We took two people who had been previously traditional consultants at Bain and at uh, Deloitte, and we helped them become more product-oriented and right. they were sponges for information. So that was also really a lot of fun. Cool, cool. Yeah. And one of your main roles there, or one of the biggest ones, let's say, was being the CPO in residence for a huge VC firm. So as you mentioned, Inside Partners, right? Yes. What was your role there and what were you doing? So this was one of my favorite jobs I've ever had um, and was such a culmination of everything else I had done in my life. Uh, And also a real testament to what happens when you put something out into the universe. So Mm. when Cyrus Innovation was sold, I had a meeting with uh, Trace Wax, uh, who's a friend of mine. And he said, what do you want to do next? And I said, I really want to work within a VC firm, helping their companies do product better. Because investing in companies that are doing product not well is a waste of money. And (laughs) he said, send me a note on that. And so I said, okay. And so I sent him a note on that. And then I worked for JustWorks for a while. And all of a sudden, Melissa Perry reached out and said, hey, Tammy, we have this opportunity with Insight Partners and Products Labs. And I was talking to Trace about the role. And he forwarded the email you sent him two years ago uh, describing this role. And would you like to talk about it? And I was like, yeah, this is my dream job. And when I left JustWorks for the opportunity and I described it to my bosses and mentors there, they said, this is the most incredible use of your brain and your skills and your experience. Go for it. Because the role was working with the portfolio. So Insight at the time had something like 150 companies in their portfolio, either as private equity or or venture capital. And then by the time I left, there were over 200 and now there's over 350. So it's a huge firm. Um, And they really wanted to provide scalable solutions for the portfolio to learn about how to do product better, both from learning like people 
from people like Melissa, as well as learning from each other. So we did everything from running roundtable events on a monthly basis with the heads of product so that they could share how they were implementing product operations or they were thinking about organizational design. Mm -hmm. We consulted with individual companies. We occasionally acted as interim VP of product like I did at Taxjar for a little bit, which was super fun and getting to do strategy and org design as well as transformations. We worked with one company who, when we started with them, the way they tracked engineering effort was that once a month, engineering managers wrote down what people had done the previous week, kind of coding it against projects, and then that was extrapolated for the rest of the month. Hmm. And anybody who works in any sort of product or technology will tell you there's no way that's at all accurate. Um, and so we helped transform them and transform their VP of engineering into a CTO and really help them just get their ducks in a row. And that was a multi-month project. Um, I think like for over a year, I held meetings with their leadership, just slowly making things better in what we talked about a minute ago in a Kaizen fashion. Yeah. Um, and it was a really amazing opportunity to work with some people who were top of their game. The CPO at the time at Hello Fresh was absolutely fantastic. Um, and there were other CPOs who just had such a depth of knowledge in their individual industries, which could have been everything from um, diligent, where they help companies who are doing M&A and investing in VCs and things like that, to um, oil and gas companies, to yeah. companies that were rolling out AI to help, you know, like bodegas and things like that, know what they should stock given seasonality. And otherwise, there were so many cool technologies that Insight was involved in. And so many people who are so passionate about what they were doing. And the ability to help people like that learn how to run a product better, how mm. to do things iteratively, how to advance beyond trusting their gut and to start trusting more data and to tell stories with data was really fantastic. Really, really just absolutely fantastic. That must have been an amazing experience. So you're not only helping and delivering value or facilitating the delivery of value. But you're also learning a lot, doing a so intense, much intense course on product management with guest speakers. That must have been amazing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And nowadays, with my coaching clients, like I will hear them tell me a story about what somebody they're working with, and I'll say, "Well, that person obviously like doesn't have enough of this type of experience." And I've never met the individual, and I've only heard maybe one or two stories. Mm. And they'll say, "How did you know that?" And I say, well, as a product person, I've got pattern recognition technology in my brain. But the value of being exposed to literally hundreds of companies while at Insight and through other consulting engagements at Pivot Labs and at Cyrus means that like my brain is filled with all these different ways that companies both succeed and fail or have missteps yeah. because I've been exposed to it as this interesting lens that you get as a consultant. So your your brain is full of what some people call the product sense, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Whole discussion about it. Um, whole discussion. We could talk forever. Yeah, for sure. So let's get to one topic, which is how did you uh, create your personal brand as the product leader coach? Uh, why did you do that transition? How did it happen? 
So one of the things I learned while working with Melissa is the importance of being part of the larger product community and having a voice, but also to have a brand. Um, She is a fantastic product manager of her own career and her own brand. Um, So if you ever want to take a lesson in that, just like sign up for her emails and see how she does things. Um, And so that was a really great learning opportunity for me about how do you do that. Um, And while I was working with her and at Inside Partners, I realized that my favorite part of the job was doing one-on-one coaching with the heads of products. And so I actually bought a few years ago, like while I was still working with her, productleadercoach.com. Because I said, that's what I want to do next. I want to be coaching next. Um, and so the pandemic was hard on small business owners. And so by the end of 2020, Melissa and Insight had just decided that the methodology on which we were working wasn't sustainable. And they hired some in-house people instead of having us as a consultancy. And Melissa decided to focus on Product Institute and on the CPO Accelerator and on teaching. And that made a lot of sense for her. And she gave me the option of you know, being the GM of the consultancy, but that wasn't what I wanted to do. I really wanted to go into coaching. And so January, 2021, I hung up my own shingle and it's been a really rewarding experience for me as well as for my clients. And I, I'm I'm very, very happy with the decision to go out on my own. Um, Melissa refers me clients. Ken Norton was referring me clients until he started doing the uh, collective coaching program with Product Collective. And um, I've been very, very lucky to have fantastic product leaders who I get to make even better and so that they could be recognized for their their unique selling propositions, if nothing else. <laughs> so in the analogy of applying product management concepts to your own career you were experimenting doing this product coaching before becoming a yes exactly coach, right <laughs> before launching <laughs> 100 there was a lot of um i tried before i took a leap but also i did research i did competitive intelligence um, I, I looked at what other coaches were doing. I I put together packages and I got feedback from different directors and VPs of product who um, were willingness yeah. to pay workshop. Well, not a willingness to pay, but was I being clear in what I was offering? Right. Um, and iteratively, like change the words, change the bolding, yeah. change what yeah. was in bullets and what was in this list, um, based on the feedback, right? Because the bottom line is is that landing pages, proposals, all of those things are an exercise in communication. And if you're not getting through, you're not communicating well. So I iterated. I iterated on my pricing. My first few clients, they just said yes too easily. And I was like, I'm not charging them enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm not charging them enough if they said yes that easily. Um, it was still, and, and they still got to like lock in a very good rate. Um, but yeah, I think that um, having that open mind towards how do I need to change things to to serve the people who I serve. So I actually literally last night was just updating my website and my proposal because mm-hmm. um, I realized that there's people who are very dedicated to change and they actually want more of a long-term agreement. And so for 2023, I created a year-long 
product leader transformation package. So rather than three or six months of coaching, it's a full mm-hmm. year where you talk to me every other week for four week, for four months, and then once a month for eight months to really solidify your learnings and show me what you're doing based on what we've learned. And in between, I'm going to conduct a 360 with your boss and two of your peers, which is something that a few of my clients invited me in to do this year. And it was so helpful to yeah. both know who it is they're working with, but also the other people's impressions of what they do. And back to that whole getting feedback stuff. Um, And so that's what I'm literally launching right now. And I hope it's successful because I think that there are people who are really looking to invest in themselves for a year Mm -hmm. um, and to really clearly set out, as you mentioned earlier, a product vision for where they want to be at the end of the year. What do they want to be able to say? What do they want? What kind of jobs do they want to qualify for? Right. What kind of additional brand presence uh-huh. do they want to create for themselves, mm-hmm. et cetera? Yeah. Um, and I want to help people do that. Super cool. Do yeah. you see it? Do you see the this brand, your personal brand, growing more into a like kind of coaching agency with several product leader coaches, or do you see it more as a one woman show. I see it more as a one woman show. There are lots of product coaches out there. Um, I'm lucky enough that like I live in a city which isn't overly expensive in comparison to other places. Mm-hmm. And we're a dual income household. Um, and I have very young children. So I like to be able to have more flexibility and right. and uh, see them. But what's cool about coaching is that you can do it and I could have If I was working 40 hours a week, I would need something like 120 clients to fill up my roster. So I'd be really impressed if I ever got to that point. Um, I also work at different hours of the night. So I have clients that are on the West Coast or in Australia who I speak to after my kids are asleep some nights. And I have clients that I talk to earlier in the morning because they're in Europe. Um, And so prioritize more that flexibility and being able to do your own thing. Not Yeah. And if I ever get to 120 clients in a given month, (laughs) I'll contemplate, you know, farming out some business to somebody else. But I I think it's going to take a long time to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. So you work with different people from different companies in different levels, right? And also with different stages of their of their careers. It's more special projects if I'm doing advisory work. Special so projects. It, it's more like, hey, we want a fly on the wall who's going to help us do our org design. Or we're recreating the way we do feedback and annual reviews. Can you Mm -hmm. give us an outsider perspective? Or we need a custom training on this thing. Or you happen to be an expert in things like PEOs. So I'm talking to a company later today about that um, because they're trying to see what they can do. Uh, And so it's very much more special projects and very focused on something where I add a lot of value based on my experience. Mm-hmm. as opposed to general advisory where you could go to any consultant. Right. I don't want to compete with those people. It's I've done it. It's much better if you're under a big umbrella and a bigger brand. Yeah. And actually one thing that I'm curious about is how different is it to give this product leadership coaching to someone that's actually a product leader and has experience in product versus someone that's like a CEO or a founder 
that wants to be a product leader but don't have that uh, background? How different? Uh, yeah, so I, I I don't have very many clients that are CEOs and looking to be product leaders. Um, yeah. If I'm working with a CEO, it's more because I'm evaluating their product leader. So yeah. they don't understand product well enough. And so they hire me to do some coaching sessions with their current senior director or VP or something like that to help them understand, do they have the right skills to move the company forward? Um, as opposed to teaching them about product more or how to be a product leader. Occasionally I get to work one once off with a CEO, there was actually a, a product leader from a company based in Istanbul. And before the strategic session that he held with the CTO and the COO and the CRO and the CEO, they had like an hour and a half long conversation with me to ask me questions about how I would think about things from more of a product perspective. And that was really cool. Um, but it was... Um, CEOs have a lot of confidence in their skills is all I can say. So part of... Uh, wanting a coach is having the humility to say, I don't know. And I want advice. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a reason I work with product leaders. And part of the benefit is that I can talk in shorthand. So one of my clients said to me, Hey, Tammy, can you review my board decks? I've only, I've been presenting board decks for 15 years now, or maybe it was less than that, but I'm presenting board decks for a long time now but I've never seen anyone else's and you've seen other people's. Can you tell me how mine are? And I said, I'm happy to, but do you know who else you can ask? I said, do you know who else you can get feedback from? And the coaching client said, no. And I said, how about your board members? They see decks all the time, right? Yeah. Like, why don't you ask them? And she said, oh, I've never thought about that. And I said, yeah, like <laughs> they are people who can give you feedback, right? Yeah. Um, we just don't think about that. Like who are the users? Who are the consumers? When we when we're talking about a board deck or when we're talking about an organizational design, how important it is to get feedback from not only your PMs and the technology team, but also the customer success team and the sales team. Like, does a new structure make sense for how they want to interact with the product or right? Forgetting about Conway's law. You know, there's lots of other factors in play. That's super helpful. Right. Um, jumping on to, to another topic. Um I've seen that you're launching soon a product manager kids book. Yeah. Um, how did that idea come to be? So I have two young children. And when my daughter was born in 2020, we got a lot of really cool STEM books for her. ABCs of biology, ABCs of science, things about equality and otherwise. Um, but I realized that there weren't uh, any books that really resonated with me about product management for kids. And so I started writing a book called What Do Product Managers Do uh, for my daughter? And it rhymes. Um, and after I started socializing the idea, because as you've learned about me, I really do a lot of customer research and feedback. I even wrote an article about how we did customer research and feedback around our wedding, um, which is why we didn't have a magician. But... Um, so I realized that this book for children would also be helpful for other people. And so the subtitle of the book is a primer for aspiring PMs of all ages and parents who aren't sure it's a real job. Because a lot of people said, I want to give it to my parents. Yeah. And 
coming from a life where my father still tells me I'm a project manager. Um, I understand the importance of explaining what it is we do to the people around us. Uh, And so uh, it's actually open source. So there's a Google doc that people can edit, well not edit, but suggest, and then I'll edit. Mm -hmm. So we've had probably 30 or so people go through and comment about things that they thought was missing. And um, we've added anything from data analytics to mentoring Marty Kagan's inspired uh, to many other things that have been adjusted. And there are still some comments that we haven't figured out how to incorporate into the book. Um, But it's about a product manager named Sue, which is who it's always been about. We attempted to call the main character Lou at some point in an effort to be more gender neutral. And that was still more people thought that that was a guy. So we changed it to Drew because I thought Drew Barrymore at least was a famous female and we could have that be agendered. And people still thought that was a guy. And I said, you know what? We're going back to a woman. We're going back to a woman. Her name is Sue. She'll have a haircut that makes her a little bit edgy, but it's going. we're going back to a woman because we got enough feedback. Um, and we sent actually the initial drawings for what the character looked like to parent groups that I'm part of to get feedback about which kid they wanted to learn about a story about. Um, and that helped direct what the characters should look like. Um, and I found a great illustrator uh, who's actually based in Berlin um, named Vanessa Lubo or V Lubo. And she has been absolutely fantastic in thinking very out of the box about how we can talk about product management in a way that will be exciting for children. Um, so like one of the, the graphic that we have that's actually on the landing page at the moment, which you can get to on TammyReese.com is Sue surrounded by buzzwords. And she has these bees that buzz around her and words like roadmap are written in like the little trailing hashes behind a bee. Um, And there are other really great um, uh, illustrations that V has put together around um, roadmaps and sprints and wireframes, because we really do try to cover a lot of product management in this book. Um, And I hope it becomes a calling card for me as somebody who can explain really complex things in simple terms and in accessible terms. Um, When when you answer the survey to get a discount whenever it is that we publish, hopefully in Q1 of next year, um, one of the options is like, I plan on putting this on my shelf next to Inspired. I hope it becomes like part of the product canon. Um, But I'm also going to produce like a totally free YouTube video of us reading it because to me, knowledge is supposed to be shared. It isn't something that I plan on profiting from in that way, but hopefully it'll help more people understand what product managers do. And maybe we'll even get some really great new product managers from it. Yeah, I'm super confident that it will be very valuable, even for some business leaders out there. Yeah. One of the other options is I plan on buying lots of copies of this for everyone in my company. And so we've gotten a number of people who check that off as well, because it's a good primer, right? It's very tangible. You can read it in five minutes or less and um, get a lay of the land in a way you couldn't otherwise. Yeah. So I'm really excited about that. That's my like, my baby. I'm having no more children. There'll be no more children, just books. (laughs) I'm also excited to reading it yeah and so anybody can read the copy online um there's a bit.ly but if you go to my page 
tamireese.com and go to the book at the bottom. There's a link to read the copy. Mm. I totally welcome comments on it because it's going to be iterated on either way. So you might as well get in the first edition. <laughs> Super cool. Yeah. Amazing. Right. So we are already one hour through in our conversation. Um, cool. Let's get to our final set of questions. Cool. What's your favorite app or digital product? Um, so it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> What was it? Uh, it was Sunrise, which was a calendaring app that got bought by Microsoft. Mm. Um, but I now use Superhuman, which is an email app. And the reason I use Superhuman and I pay for email is because I've met their founder and Rahul loves Sunrise too. And he is dedicated to making Sunrise appear again <laughs> and the functionality life. and the usability of it in Superhuman. And he is getting closer and closer every day. And so I would say Superhuman's probably my favorite app, getting back to the fact that I'm utilitarian. And so the number one thing I check is my email and I use it as a to-do list and I snooze things and I um, utilize it in lots of different ways. And they, to me not only save me time, they make me more efficient. There are so many little things they think about, about how a user uses email. So they have something called an instant intro. So mm -hmm. if after this, you wanted to introduce me to another podcaster, you write an email and I just press one button and it automatically CCs you and it writes a line that says like, let me save your mm -hmm. inbox, I'm BCCing you. and. To be able to just think about that's the way that people do something and to use technology to make it streamlined makes me happy. And so I will continue cool. to support. Amazing. And on the other yeah. side of the scale, what's the innovation that you hate the most? The innovation that I hate the most. Um, oh, wow. I don't, I don't remember seeing this as a question in advance. What's the innovation? I think Our I, think I hate notifications. The innovation Sorry. that I hate the most is notifications hmm. because too many people are constantly distracted by the notifications on yeah. their phone or on their watch. And so I try my best to minimize notifications so that I can be present and enjoy whatever it is that I'm doing. I think that the functionality that Apple has rolled out around focus is so key to how we can actually get things done. I work with my clients on how to block out times on their calendar for deep thinking and really getting into the flow of what they're doing because you cannot build out a product strategy while you're distracted, yeah. right? You can't think critically mm -hmm. about how an org design should look while you're getting in, in, inundated with Slack oh, messages. Yeah, for sure. And it's not that I don't love Slack or that I don't love notifications when appropriate, but I think that we need to go back to a time where we can recognize that something can wait. Like very few things are an emergency that needs to be responded to within five seconds, yeah. let alone five minutes or five hours. <laughs> and mm -hmm. if we can all get that mentality a little bit more ingrained in us as opposed to the need to respond. Um, I think we can be more thoughtful in our responses and we can in turn be more effective with our time and other people's. Definitely. If you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose and what would you ask them? Oh, it's a toss up between Einstein and Marie Curie, but probably Marie Curie. Hmm. I mean, talk about an innovator, talk about 
a Mm -hmm. feminist. Talk about somebody who the cards were entirely stacked against them. Um, and to do it in a way that had grace, right? I think that to be an iconoclast is one thing, but to do it in a way that's graceful. Um, our daughter is named Ruth and, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was a Supreme Court justice in the United States, pretty famous, unfortunately passed away recently. Um, Mm -hmm. she said, there's a quote from her that I'm going to, probably not get perfectly but she says something like um speak your mind but do it in a way that other people will join you mm-hmm. and so much of leadership is saying things in a way that other people will join you and follow you and join your cause mm-hmm. and i think that there's a lot of personalities out there right now who are divisive and yeah. they they say things to get a rile out of people as opposed to helping shed light on what's important and bringing everyone along. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily I, being agreeable or just yeah. saying it's you don't have to be agreeable. You can make agree. your point that like the world is broken and something's wrong and things have to be change. Inspirational, bring people with you. That's exactly very important. Yeah. It's and and so and I think that yeah, I'm still going with Marie Curie because she she said women can be smart, women are smart, and that if we invest in women, uh, we can really change the world. Yeah. Um, and she did it in a time where nobody wanted women to be doing anything other than being barefoot and in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. and she won a Nobel Prize for it, you know? So recognized for her leadership and recognized for her contributions um and did it in a way that people didn't walk around saying oh that horrible person Marie Curie you know so I think that I'd really love to learn more about that because unfortunately even though it's been you know 150 years she's like the world she lived in and the anti-feminist movements are still very vocal (laughs) so Yeah, and her way of communicating probably it's something that a lot of the recent movements and divisiveness, like those kind of leaders should learn a lot from that, right? Yeah, if only, if only. And if only we as people could recognize divisive leaders as something that is not going to be productive for the long term, right? Mm-hmm. Productive for the short term, but not for the long term. And you know, we're going to be around, you and I are going to be around for another 50 plus years. Um, the world's going to be around for a lot longer than that. We want to leave a great world for our kids and coming generations. And if we think too short-sighted, we we will never get there. Progress doesn't happen quickly. So, Right. Yeah. To wrap it up, what are your three favorite books or three books that you would recommend? Um, the hard thing about hard things. I'm a very big advocate of that by Ben Horowitz. Uh, that's one of my favorites and I return to it a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. there's a book that isn't very popular. Um, like it doesn't end up on lists or things like that, but I happen to know the author and the concept I think is fantastic, which is nice companies finish first. Nice companies finish first. Nice companies finish first by Peter Shankman. Um, 
because he emphasizes that you don't have to be an asshole as a company, right? That you can actually be good towards your customers and be good to yours, yours employees. And in the end, it will turn out well. And I, I he uses Zappos a lot as, a, as an example, but um, I've been lucky enough to be um, very closely uh, involved with the team that led a company called BrainPop, which is an educational technology that recently got acquired by uh, the holding company of Lego. Um, and they've always been a nice company, right? They've always thought about how they can think about the whole child when it comes to education and how to treat their employees well. And even with this exit, they're the only company I've heard of recently that even though they had no obligation to give money to their employees, because it wasn't like they had options or things like that, they mm-hmm. chose to. And they said, we only got here because of you. And even people who had only been there for a month, meaning they didn't really contribute to the acquisition, still got a slice of the pie because they said, we want you to feel this moment. We want you to be able to celebrate with us. Mm-hmm. And that's nice, right? There's nothing yeah. about that that is good business or anything else that you would read about in some Harvard Business Review article. Um, but so those two books, and I mean, I probably read Good Night Moon more than anything. <laughs> but I recently uh, saw a mom post on Instagram about Good Night Moon. And she said, Good Night Moon's been warning us for a very long time. And this is actually applicable to product management as well. If you look at the clocks in this book called Good Night Moon, which is an American classic for putting kids yeah. to bed, um, it takes an hour and a half to put your child to bed because mm. <laughs> the clock keeps changing slowly. It takes around an hour and a half. And I think that for my perspective, that's a good message for anybody when it comes back to this, like progress doesn't happen immediately. We don't snap our fingers and make things happen. We have to work with other people. We have to collaborate. We have to partner and that takes time, but mm. that investment pays off in the long run. Right. In in all honesty, beyond Goodnight Moon, which obviously most people are not going to reflect on as a business book, I I've been lucky enough to uh, be invited to be part of the Coach the Coaches program uh, through Silicon Valley Product Group in December in New York. And part of the requirements to participate are to read uh, the new edition of Inspired and Empowered. And I am unbelievably impressed with how well empowered really crystallizes the importance of what you need to do as a product leader when it comes to assisting the people on your team to be able to make solid decisions um, that are backed up by you and the organization and really teaching them to be leaders of their own areas. Um, So I would say that especially because I work with product leaders, that's probably the most common book I I recommend to people because everyone at some point has read Inspired. They may not know that there's a second edition out there, but not enough people have read the newer book, which is Empowered, which is really, uh, I think, a a core canon, canonical book when it comes to product leadership. So Inspired more for individual contributors, probably, and Empowered more for leaders. Yeah, I would say that Empowered is how do you help your PMs be the PMs that are mentioned and inspired, right? right? That How do you create the structures that allow for innovation and continuous improvement and customer development? Because as a leader, that's your job. Yeah, cool. I haven't read that one, just Inspired for now, but there you go. definitely on my, on my reading list. Right. Cool. 
Next one. What uh, I typically ask, what's your three favorite cities? But since I know you have a goal to travel to a lot of states and a lot of countries, I'll have it, give you the chance to choose six favorite cities. Six cities. Okay. Six favorite cities. Um, I happen to really love Miami where we live, but I preferred Los Angeles when I lived there. It doesn't work for our life, but I, I loved living in LA. I lived there for 13 years. So we'll go with Los Angeles and Miami when it comes to US cities. I loved be visiting Buenos Aires. We had such a great time there. I could totally move there. Um, my husband's family has an apartment in Tel Aviv and being able to experience Tel Aviv as a local has been really fantastic. And watching them transform themselves into the, what they call the startup nation has been absolutely fantastic to watch. Um, and beyond, you know, the ability to walk to the beach and bike ride everywhere, um, it's, a, it's a different culture, right? Because the Middle East is more direct. Um, and at the same point, it's this oasis. Uh, so I'd say Tel Aviv. So now we're at four. Um, I would really love to go back to Sydney. I loved Sydney when I visited uh, in college. Um, and I've promised my husband we will make it to Australia. Um, and then I didn't list any Europeans. See, you can't get me because I've just like gone to many yeah. places. I do happen to really love um, Osaka because it's both old world and like got a new thing going on for Japan. And I love Japanese mm -hmm. culture. I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, in Europe, yeah. I'm not trying to pander, but I think Lisbon was the city that I, I most enjoyed and could see myself living in as opposed to visiting. Um, I, I love being able to just like bump into culture and history, um, eat good food, drink good wine, you know? Um, and so Portugal has that in spades. And at the same point, you're incredibly close to some interesting historical places. You can hop over to Andalusia in Spain without a problem. Yeah. My favorite part of Lisbon actually is, because I don't speak Portuguese, but I had a car and I was driving and I, you probably don't even realize this, but pretty much every four seconds, there's a sign that says Espanha, Mm -hmm. like that way yeah. while you're in Lisbon because Espanha is that way but I didn't know what Espanha was because though I speak Spanish and Espana I would have known it took me yeah. probably two days of driving around to know <laughs> that Espanha wasn't some sort of castle in the middle of the city <laughs> it was the country east yeah. of Portugal <laughs> and so I always found that funny that like at any given moment you could always know how to get to Spain um, if you needed a change of pace but I thought Portugal was absolutely fantastic and I'm excited that I get to hopefully go back for a few uh, experiences whether meetups or conferences in the coming year because I had a lot of fun there for Web Summit and another thing that I did there um, working with a company and so um, there we go that's the European city of choice amazing hopefully we'll meet there next year hopefully <laughs> or someplace else in europe who knows but I, i would like to get back to portugal my husband and i went to porto together because i didn't get to go to porto on my on my trip to portugal um we, we got to spend some time there which was also really beautiful the yeah. tiles yeah. but like yeah. literally the kitchen we're building i'm bringing in some cool portuguese blue and white tiles for it because i i just love that color blue cool yeah great last one Three favorite blogs. 
Three favorite blogs. Um, I love the Silicon Valley product blog. I've read it for years and years and years. I think Ken Norton's Bring Home the Donuts um, is also fantastic. Uh, and I like the work I did while with Melissa at Products Labs, um, the Ask Melissa podcast and things like that. And the, the resulting blog is good because it's just very real, right? Anything like this where you're bringing in real people who do the job to help them to help other people understand what it looks like because product management as much as it is an art and a science is very much individual to how you're doing it and where you're doing it um so even though i've been interviewed for like this is product management and i know the original host mike and things like that um to me it's it's all about providing an opportunity for people to learn so if people learn through podcasts it's the way that they like to commute into work and things like that more power to you let me support that let me do this if you prefer to read a blog i'm going to publish things on linkedin and on medium um if you want to read a book seems i'm writing a book um if you want to take a course there are tons of courses to take so i emphasize the continuous learning of product management and so find your way to keep learning because our industry is changing, our our role is changing. And if you want to be part of the wave of innovation and you want to become a product leader, you have to be in the mindset of continuously improving your skills and learning new skills. Super cool. Super useful advice to wrap it up. Cool. And yeah, I just add to that, that I think also it's very important to learn from other areas like psychology. Oh, yes. Here. Uh, even like gaming, weird things, random stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm working on an article about electoral politics and product management because I talk about it a lot. And it was a workshop that I took at Lean Agile Scotland many years ago. Um, and that was one of the transformational things I learned at Lean Agile Scotland. And the second one was actually from a person with a PhD in philosophy who mm -hmm. talked about complexity theory. And I, I think about complexity theory a lot, that too often we are educated that point A and doing A leads to point B, when in fact there are a million A's that contribute to B being a reality, and any one of them could have been different and B would be different. Yeah. And that we have so much less control over things than we ever imagined, and that you have to understand that, cool. both for a sense of humility and a sense of peace and calm when things don't work out yeah yeah it's amazing last thing where can people find you online and maybe how can the audience be useful to you uh so i'm most active on linkedin so please connect with me on linkedin i spell tammy t-a-m-i reese r-e-i-s-s uh and then beyond that, I have my own website, TammyReese.com. If you're looking for coaching, I offer a 25-minute free introductory session because coaching is a very one-on-one -on -one experience. Uh, and you have to make sure it's somebody you you can trust to give you advice. Um, and then on the website, you can also sign up to hear more about the book when it gets published and get a discount. So by all means, do that. Who doesn't like to spend less on things? <laughs> cool. Amazing. Tammy, cool. great talking to you. Thanks a lot for your time. Such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And we'll see each other hopefully sometime soon in person. <laughs> hopefully. To enjoy a glass of wine. <laughs>